This is Joe Burns. And Chad P. Hey, thanks for listening to the Rock School Podcast. We think you'll learn something. Now remember, if you want to hear the show with all the music in place, go to kslu.org and stream the show live Thursdays at 5. And Sundays at 4. It's a new show every week. Now enjoy this week's Rock School radio show. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. It's time for school. Rock School with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Here's the concern in Los Angeles. A corpse has no value. And Chad P. Because I forgot to buy milk (laughs) and divorce my wife. Class is in. Hey, this is Rock School here on the Rock School Radio Network. Uh, my name is Joe Burns, broadcasting live from the campus of Southeastern Louisiana University. What's the matter? What? How many pieces? Are we of having paper? an exam today? I Good know, look Lord! At this. Seven well, you got pieces an open of paper book and seven pieces of paper. Hey, I got to tell you, this is a great book. This is a book I'm going to be using a good bit. It's called Rock, rock Shrink. Shrine. No, Rock Shrines. Oh, Shrines. Okay. Right. Well, Thomas H. Green. Thomas H. Green wrote. It's called Rock Shrines, and it's a great book because it's really interactive. It's all about rock stars, how they died, and where the things are that either were part of their death Mm -hmm. or where they're buried and what have you. And what's neat is inside of it, he has lots of little pockets where there is a reproduction of either the death certificate Mm -hmm. or documents that were involved in the death of the rock star. Neat book if you can get your uh, even get your hands on. When you it. say a shrine, like uh, let's say when Dimebag Daryl passed away, and I right. decided to do something in in memory of him, and it was like really really fancy and extravagant. Right, there's a chance so, that I could have been in this book. Could have. Let's say a party was held for Dimebag Daryl, and an invitation was created. Uh-huh. In this book, there would have been a reproduction of the invitation. Okay, uh, like the there's a, a statue of Freddie Mercury, and there's pictures of that statue. Mm-hmm. And there's a place where you can go and celebrate the life of the guy we're going to talk about today. Cecil Ingram Connor III. Who? But you might know him better as Graham Parsons. I thought Graham Parsons was his name. Well, no. His real name is Cecil Ingram Connor III, but Graham Parsons is what you might know him by. I changed it to Graham. Now, here's the thing. I like to start these singular story shows by saying, I'm going to tell you a story that you won't believe. I don't like it when you talk like that. Here's the thing. He died, he, Graham Parsons, I'm not going to call him Cecil anymore, but he died September 19th. Now, that's before our next show airs. Uh It's after this one airs, but before our next one airs. So now is the best time to put this show out. Now is the time. So the question is... Who is this guy? Who's Graham Parsons? And why do I care about the death of Graham Parsons? Who he is is an interesting story to begin with. He's generally the guy who's given the moniker of who created country rock. Think of the Eagles, think Linda Ronstadt. In fact, both of them, the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt, credit him with creating the genre, creating the concept of shoving rock and country together. Hmm. 
A lot of people believe he is the guy that had such an influence on the Stones that when you hear certain Stones songs, and I'm going to play a couple of those today, that have a country influence, it's oh, yeah. not that Keith and Mick went, hey, let's do some country. It's because, because of him, huh? right, this guy lived with the Rolling Stones during the Exile on Main Street session. So basically, Graham Parsons could be partially responsible for songs like Honky Tonk Woman. Not, and- not partially responsible. Oh. Many people believe many people believe this guy wrote it really and the stones took it oh wow really and he's he's also responsible for having found emmy lou harris and many other things but again a, a good story alone but it's his death that's the best story of them all oh, there's always a question mark okay so I let hear me, all about him let me introduce you to graham parsons and tell you the most fantastic story about the end of this guy's life we begin with some of his earliest stuff from 1968 when he was with the international submarine band he's 21 years old and they put out an album called safe at home where they cover a johnny cash song called i still miss someone it sounds like this rock school I want to point something out right quick before I ask you this question. I remember hearing this guy's name dropped when Dr. Ralph Wood was on the show when we were talking about country. He's a country fan. I'm familiar with his name. I never really knew that much about him. Yes. But you say that he kind of married country and rock. Right. That song we just played sounded a lot more country than rock. (laughs) Right. The the International Submarine Band was, if you listen to the whole album, Safe at Home, it's kind of half rock. Half country. I'd call it more 80-20. Well, yeah, leaning a lot more country than. Where we're going to go next is the birds, or are the birds. I never know. Is, it the, is the article <laughs> is, or is the article are? Is, is a band a thing, or is a band a multiple? So, Only you would concern me, yourself with that. <laughs> no, many other people do. I just happen to be the guy on the radio right now. Let me tell you about him, Graham Parsons, and get us to the birds. He attends Harvard University... Before then, he's a rock fan. Mm-hmm. He attends Harvard University. He studies theology, leaves after a single semester. Apparently, he thought himself right out of going to classes. <laughs> uh, becomes interested in, in country music while he's at Harvard University and started the group, the International Submarine Band. Mm-hmm. That's where you just heard that song from. So he kind of took a, a bit of a jump there. Harvard, right. spirituality, theology. Sure. Country music. Well, see, I didn't listen to certain kinds of music before I went to college. I listened to only hard rock mm-hmm. because I grew up in Cleveland and the people I were I was around rock 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 rock. Well, when you got to college, you got kind of exposed to some different genres. Steely and stuff. Dan, you were able to expand right. and broaden your oh, horizons. Oh, sure. And I took music theory classes where I was introduced to classical and classical guitar was handed to me, and I just thought it was unbelievable. There's, you just broaden your horizons because sure. you're around other people. Okay. He relocates to Los Angeles that year and is playing around and gigging and such. He comes to the attention of the Birds bassist, Chris Hillman, via their manager, a guy by the name of Larry Spector, as a possible replacement for the two guys that just left. David Crosby, you may have heard of him, and Michael Clark. They leave the group in 67. Now, is he a singer, guitarist? or Both. Oh, okay. Both. Oh, and a songwriter Uh all the way around. The birds decide to bring him in, and he is such a force 
that they decide to use his knowledge of music and create an album that is a a, res- a retrospective, if you will, of American music. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't go that way. It becomes a country album, straightforward. Hmm. And the album Sweethearts of the Rodeo becomes the result of it. <laughs> so here's one from... I'm serious. Well, I you can you kind of tell it from the title. <laughs> yeah. Here is a song from Sweethearts of the Rodeo, The Birds. Uh, it's called Life in Prison. Sounds like this. Rock School. The jury found I could die, my pain might go away. Wait a minute, so you said originally that they were going for an American retrospective Right, it was going to cover album. all kinds of American uh-huh. music. Now remember, the Birds were a psychedelic band. I'm feeling that. Okay, here's right. the deal. Oh, that, this song, was a... that song right there, El Twango. Right, now, okay. this was, now Merle Haggard wrote that song. Sweethearts you know. of the Rodeo and, right. a, and a prison song. <laughs> you can't get more country. Yes. I mean, why didn't they just shoot for country straightforward? That, well, that's that's where it went. It was to be a retrospective album, and it was turned on. This guy was really that much of a force. So, okay, why did he leave? Why did he leave? Dig this. A tour was planned with the birds of South Africa. What? Of South Africa. Well, they were going to go down and play South Africa. Oh, I thought you meant like the birds of South Africa. No, no, no. The, the B-Y-R-D-S. Gotcha, okay. And... Parsons said, no, I'm not playing a place that has apartheid. What? And the remainder of the band said, well, we're going to go play. And uh, he said, he, you know, Parsons said, Have okay, fun. get lost. What? And he really? left. He left the band. Seriously. Wow. Okay. The whole thing died over a, a concern over apartheid in South Africa. Huh. He goes back to Los Angeles and seeks out some other people, Hillman, Chris Etheridge, uh, Sneaky Pete Kleinow, and puts together a band called the Flying Burrito Brothers. Now, we've played them two or three times on this show He's before. He's responsible for that band? The Flying Burrito Brothers. Uh, the Gilded Palace of Sin was really a Bakersfield style of country, and they put out two albums and has success with it. I mean, nothing huge and mainstream, but enough that he's influencing other bands around the Los Angeles area. Yeah. Because in 69, think of what's going on. I mean, we're talking the height of true classic rock, and then over here in the corner is this Parsons guy. Got this guy over here making all this country noise. Right. Well, it's sort of a country rock now, and Uh I'll play one for you called Christine's Tune, and it's, it's, it's got a country influence. It's starting to sound more and more, I hate to say the Eagles, but that's where it's going. So it's almost like he's crossing over. He's in the process of crossing over. He's pulling these things together, and he's becoming, whereas not a huge star in the eyes of, you know, you hate to say radio, because radio isn't everything. I think it is, but it's... It isn't everything to the artists, but it's it, it. He's having influence on those that are around him mm-hmm. rather than this huge, large mainstream success. Right. And after his success with the Flying Burrito Brothers, he goes with the Stones. Cool, man. Yeah, okay, I let's get to that. You not here is the Flying Burrito Brothers. You'll hear it's more rock, but still much country. Here's Christine's tune, "Devil in the Skies." Rock school.
Okay, let's get to the Rolling Stones Please. part of yes. him because I think that's what you're interested in. It is. Although still part of the Flying Burrito Brothers, in 1971, he, Parsons, Graham Parsons, accompanies the Rolling Stones on their 1971 tour. Why? He wants to get signed to their brand new record label. He wants to become part of the Rolling Stones label. Okay. He so, even lives with Keith Richards during the recording of the Exile on Main Street LP. All right, stop. Okay. So it, just because he wants to get affiliated with their label, right? he literally just picks up the phone and says, yeah, I'd really like to be a part of y'all's label. Can I come on? Can I come with you on the I tour? I think it's more than that. I don't know the exact connections, but I think it's more than that. This guy was an influence on other artists in the Los Angeles scene. Scene. Right. Granted, I realize he's not just some Joe Blows. Oh, I want to come on the tour with y'all. Right. So, you know, they probably had heard of him, but I, I didn't think it would be that simple to just, hey, Mick, I don't can know I tag the, along? I don't know the connections. Okay. I just know that the history of that, this is what happened. So they're touring and right. he's there. He's there. It's the connection during the exile on Main Street that's really the concern. The question is whether Parsons is on the Exile on Main Street album uh-huh. or, not. or not. Is he? Well, he doesn't sing anything as a lead. Maybe he's on some guitar parts. Maybe. The only song that we're pretty gosh darn sure <laughs> that he's on is a song called Sweet Virginia. Uh-huh. In his autobiography, Life... Keith Richards states that Parsons is part of the chorus. Uh-huh. So, Parsons is maybe on other songs on Exile and Main Street, but is probably in the chorus backing up Sweet Virginia. Well, since we're kind of guessing at this and yes. we're referring to Keith Richards' autobiography, I'm yes. assuming that they didn't give him any credit in any of the song titles or on the on the album cover or anything I like that. I couldn't find his name on my copy. Uh-huh. I couldn't find his name on my copy. We'll play Sweet Virginia. It's a chorus. You can't really pick out any male voices. Uh-huh. And we'll see then what the concern is over Honky Tonk Woman. We'll play a couple more from Graham Parsons. This is Sweet Virginia from Exile on Main Street in Knoxville. Okay, first break here on Rock School, and we are late coming into it, so let me tell you how he leaves the Rolling Stones. This is according, once again, to Keith Richards' autobiography, Life. Anita Pallenberg, which is Richards' longtime girlfriend, might as well be his wife. I mean, they've been together forever and a day. Well, who are we to judge? Right, well, you know, common law wife. According to Mick Jagger, this is quoting inside of the uh, the Life autobiography, yep. Pallenberg kicks Parsons out huh? because Keith Richards was spending too much time doing dope and playing music with Graham Parsons. Playing music with Graham Parsons Rises. or doing dope and playing music Both. with Graham Parsons? Both. He was taking too much time away from Keith Richards. So gotcha. boom, he was bounced. He uh-huh. was told to get out. A little later on, he marries a woman named Gretchen, uh-huh. who becomes Gretchen Parsons. He almost immediately tries to divorce her. What? Does not. 
keep that in mind. That becomes super duper important later. Okay. He tries to divorce her, does not quite go through with it. He becomes a full-born drug addict. Uh-huh. Okay. That is also super important, but not as important as the fact that this Gretchen woman who becomes Gretchen right. Parsons, write that down, get Gretchen pencil. Parsons, he thought he divorced her. Oh, but he did not. Oh, okay. That becomes super Shoot, duper. I meant to do important. that yesterday. Important. Pick up okay. milk, divorce wife. <laughs> but okay. didn't do it. Okay. Back to the U.S. Uh huh. Okay. Leaves the Stones. Back to the U.S. Does a one-off concert with the Burritos and goes to hear this woman named Emmy Lou Harris sing in a small club in Washington D.C. We are just about to his death, which is really, although it's been neat up to this point, just really the story. Hello, Radio Universidad Salamanca, Spain. Thanks for running the radio show. Hello, KSCL in Shreveport, Louisiana. Are you as confused as I am? Oh, it's fun. Wait till it gets going. Uh, Get us on Facebook, search Rock School Radio Show, and like us, you really like us. Back in a minute on Rock School. Okay, we need one to get us to the bottom of the hour. Like I said, he goes to hear this woman named Emmy Lou Harris sing in a small club in Washington, D.C. They become huge friends, and they do a small tour together. And actually, Graham Parsons sings with her on a couple of her albums, and she sings on his first solo album and also does some backing vocals on his second album, which is released posthumously. Posthumously, as in after he died. After he died. We're going to play one by he and Emmy Lou Harris. When we get to the bottom of the hour, we will begin the proceedings that lead to the demise of Graham Parsons. This is Love Hurts. Love Hurts? You mean that song by Nazareth? Yeah, they weren't the first to do it. They remade it. This is the one by Emmy Lou Harris and Graham Parsons. Sounds like this. Rock School. Here on Rock School. Let's give her names one more time. In fact, I don't even think I gave your name at the top of the hour. No, did I? you well, didn't. I'm Joe Burns, and he's... I'm Chad That P. guy uh-huh. sitting over there. Mm-hmm. Let's do seven days and 70 seconds, and then we'll kill Graham Parsons. Uh, these days, <laughs> September 10th through September 16th, uh, I think Chad has uh, Monday go. September 10th, 1998, Gary Glitter appears in court on child pornography charges. Yeah, we brought that up in, what, last week's show? Or yeah. The week before? We yeah. saw it coming. We're smacking around Gary Glitter a little bit. September 11th, 1995, Janet Jackson's single Runaway makes history by being the first by a woman to debut in the top 10 on Billboard's Hot 100. She's hot. Yeah. September 12th, 2002, Kurt Cobain's childhood home sells on eBay for $210,000. You know what it was valued at? 53K. You gotta wonder, the person who bought it, you know, there had to be some excitement of an auction. You know, I have it! Yay! And now... Now what? What? Now yeah. I got it. Okay, good for you. September 13th, 1991, Alice Cooper himself goes to Times Square and sells copies of his new album, Hey Stupid, for 99 cents. If you didn't buy one, if you were there, <laughs> Hey Stupid. stupid. <laughs> September 14th, 1985, the MTV Music Awards are held for the first time, and your hosts are Bette Midler and Dan Aykroyd. And September 15th, by the way, that's my my birthday. I'll be turning 48 this time around. Ouch. 
But on September 15, 1974, Gary Payne of Uriah Heep is almost killed after being electrocuted on stage in Dallas. Ouch. Ouch. And then September 16th, speaking of dying, 1970, Jimi Hendrix makes his final public appearance at a club in London with Eric Burden and War. Okay. Okay. September 17th, 1973, Graham Parsons, his girlfriend, Margaret Fisher, not his wife, remember, he thought he had divorced her, Mm -hmm. Michael Martin and Michael Martin's girlfriend, Dale McElroy, go to the Joshua Tree National Park. Now, this is outside of Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. They rent room number eight in the Joshua Tree Inn, Joshua Tree, California. Great. They do a ton of drugs. <laughs> Absolutely pound themselves with narcotics. Yeah. Parsons' breathing becomes shallow. They try to revive him. They call an ambulance. The problem is they are as far from a hospital as you can possibly get. You go into the Joshua Tree. You know, Joshua Tree is called a Joshua Tree because it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. They're as far away from medical help as they possibly can be. The High Desert Medical Center is contacted. They send an ambulance, but it's forever to get there. It's forever to get him back. He dies 12.30 a.m., get it, almost two days later. Wow. At 12.30 a.m., September 19th. Graham Parsons has passed. No reviving him. He is dead. Now the fun begins. You mean now the fun begins? What do we do with the body of Graham Parsons? You bury it. No. Why? Many people have many ideas. Here's one from the Flying Burrito Brothers called If You Gotta Go, You Might As Well Have a Party About It. Dig this. Sounds like this on Rock School. Okay, Graham Parsons has passed. Mm -hmm. Now, the person Graham Parsons did not have a lot of contact with was his stepfather. In fact, the person who gave him his name, Parsons. Remember, his name was Cecil Ingram Connor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got his name Parsons from his stepfather. Well, his stepfather is from New Orleans. Hey, hey. Okay. He wants the body sent to New Orleans. Why? Because according to Louisiana law, if Parsons is buried in Louisiana, the stepfather has a pretty good shot at legally getting his money. Oh, burial. I don't like right? to hear that. Now, so this is all being arranged. Okay. The body is placed into a casket and is sent to LAX airport. It's going to be placed onto a plane and sent down to New Orleans, yeah. right? Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Before he, Graham Parsons, died, he made apparently a very drunk or a very high pact with his manager, a guy named Phil Kaufman. Uh-huh. Phil Kaufman was a real character who spent time in prison with, of all people, Charles Manson. Oh, great. And according to Phil Kaufman, (laughs) Graham Parsons wanted to be taken off this earth in a flaming funeral pyre. 
Really? He wanted to be burned. Uh-huh. Okay. So, what Kaufman did was he went and got Michael Martin, mm-hmm. the guy who was with Parsons when he sure, died. Sure, sure. And they rented a hearse. And they drove to LAX. Oh, no. Okay? They were drunk as anything. The hearse was loaded down with booze and pills. They drove past police officers, Uh stating they were there to pick up the body of Parsons. Nobody checked them. (laughs) They went right to the tarmac where the plane and the casket is located. Upon pulling into where the body is, they run into the side of the building (laughs) and harm the building. Right? (laughs) The cop comes out and says, the security guard, what are you guys doing? We're, they're drunk. Yeah. We're here to pick up the body and what have you. And the guy says, well, you got to get this hearse out of here. And he says, well, you're going to have to help us, you know, put the body in the back. And the security guard helps them put the body <laughs> in the back of the hearse. Oh, wow. They finally get the body and the casket in the back of the hearse, spin this puppy around and drunk with bottles in the back. You know, the guy had to see all of this. Yeah. Put the body in the back. These guys stinking of booze. Close the thing and drive out of LAX. So they got him. Got him. They got it. Got it. The paperwork and everything says put this body on that plane and take it to New Orleans. Two drunk guys drive up in a hearse. That sounds like a bad of a really bad joke. <laughs> put it and put Parsons in the back. Past cops. Past security guard. Back out the gate. Wow. Where were they going? Tell you in a minute. Here's Graham Parsons. Ooh, Las Vegas. Rock school. Okay, second break here on Rock School. Where was the hearse going? Joshua Tree Park. Same place where he died. So they drive out there past the same inn where he died to a section where there was basically nothing. There was a little section called Cap Rock, Mm -hmm. nothing that could be burnt. Pull out the casket, open it up, pour gasoline over the whole thing, the whole thing went up. A huge funeral pyre all night burnt it until it couldn't burn anymore well all right then they did exactly what supposedly graham parson wanted success okay right? the end now see you later there's a slate there or there used to be a slate there it's since been moved to the uh to the inn that said graham parson's safe at home This is the rock shrine that's in this book that I had. Mm -hmm. So what happened? You got these two guys. You would think that Kaufman and Michael Martin, the the two guys that stole the the body, would be thrown into jail, right? Well, eventually they... Something's got to happen whenever the body doesn't show up in New Orleans. Well, they were arrested. And on Parsons' 27th birthday, interestingly enough, they were brought into West Los Angeles Municipal Court. Here's the concern. In Los Angeles, a corpse has no value. There's no monetary value to a corpse. Mm -hmm. So they were charged with misdemeanor theft of a coffin (laughs) and lighting a fire. They were also given a $300 fine 
for body snatching. Body snatching. Right. Well, it wasn't kidnapping because the guy was dead. That's right. And there's no intrinsic value to a corpse. So all told, $708 for the coffin and $300 each. So $708 plus $300 plus $300, whatever that comes out to be, that's what the whole thing cost them. Lighting the fire? They lit it where you're allowed to light fire, so, so if, there's no problem. So if you and I can pool together about thirteen hundred bucks, you got it. We can go grab us a body from the airport. I my assumption is that's been changed <laughs> since. But yeah, all told, what is that? Seven hundred and eight plus three hundred is a grand eight plus three hundred is thirteen oh eight. Yeah. The whole thing. Let's do that. That's what it cost them. Now, if he would have gotten that in writing, he just basically said, you know, we had an agreement and this is what he wanted. All he had to do was get something signed and he wouldn't have had any problems. Yeah, but this way it cost them $1,308. But they didn't pay it. It was paid for them. How? See you in just a minute. Hello, KLSU. Uh, thanks for running the radio show. Hello, WBSD in Burlington, Wisconsin. Help us solve this mystery when we get back. <laughs> it's not a mystery. I've got it right here. Well, let me see. Interesting. Uh, I guess we'll be back in a minute here on Rock School. Now, I made the statement that Kaufman and Michael Martin did not pay the 1308 that was required yeah. because of their uh, movement into West L.A. Municipal Corp. They paid it out of their own pocket, but more than that was given back to them because soon after they were found guilty of body snatching and burning a coffin, they threw Kaufman's Coffin Caper Concert. Spell that K Kaufman, <laughs> K Coffin, C Caper, K Concert. Here's what they did. What? They raised funds by taking all kinds of beer and pasting fake labels on them with Graham Parsons' picture on it and calling it Graham Pilsner, a stiff drink for what ails you. They also had a band there. Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers. Do you remember them? They did the mash. They did the monster mash. These names are horrible. Are you serious? And Dr. Demento served as DJ when live music was not being played. So Kaufman held this get-together and... I guess money at the door, and he easily raised well over the thirteen oh eight that was required <laughs> oh of God. him to pay the whole Mike, thing. Mike, I got an idea. <laughs> this will work. This, we'll get it, our money back. It did work. Wow! He easily raised it over. So there's still a question. The body just doesn't go away. I mean, you lit a fire, but when you cremate a body, you have to get the fire way hotter than just, like, barbecue. Yeah. There's a lot left of Graham Parsons. Where is it? Oh. I'll tell you. It gets better yet. I'll tell you where the rest of him is. Here's still feeling blue. It's Graham Parsons on Rock School. Time can pass and time can heal, but it don't ever pass the way I feel. You went away a long time ago. Well, it's over, 
And if you would like to, those of you who are listening to us in the great state of Louisiana, if you would like to visit what remains of Graham Parson. He's here? Yeah, you can. Where? He is buried in New Orleans. He's, in he's a, buried in New Orleans. He, he got burned beyond recognition. He's, what is he's left, gone. He, what is left of him huh? is buried in New Orleans. He's at the Garden of Memories, a cemetery on a highway near the airport. There's a bronze plaque that states God's own singer. It's a line from one of his songs. His stepfather, Bob Parsons, was successful in bringing what was left of Parsons <laughs> down here to the Big Easy and burying him. <laughs> Seriously. You got a phone call. Mr. Bob, there's been a problem. Sure. Well, just, just send me what you got. <laughs> What's left? Put it in a box and send it down here. Well, do you remember me saying that Bob Parsons believed if it was, you know, buried, if he was buried in yeah, Louisiana? Yeah, according to that Louisiana law. Yeah. Did he get it? Well, well no. Oh. He didn't get a penny. <laughs> what did I tell you to remember? Oh, the woman got it! Right! The woman got it! The woman got the money! Because I forgot to buy milk (laughs) and divorce my wife! He forgot to divorce his wife. Uh, Gretchen Parsons never got divorced. Now, he had a daughter with her. I failed to mention that. My apologies. His his daughter, Polly, and Gretchen Parsons, and his sister, Avis, he had a sister as well, okay. they got the money, but the lion's share went to Gretchen Parsons, the woman he forgot wow. to divorce. Well, he started the paperwork, but it never got finished. Yeah. Apparently, he was too baked to, <laughs> to finish the whole thing. Tough day for Bob. Yeah. Well, wow. Bob didn't much care, but that's, that's where the money went, and his his stepfather, Bob Parsons, made nothing after paying to have the remains brought down here, buried, and nothing. <laughs> Didn't get yeah. a dime. That's a, you know, well, there's a problem. Well, that's okay. Let's just do that. Well, there's another there's problem. There's yet another problem. He, uh, Bob Parsons died about a year after burying his stepson of an alcohol-related illness. He drank himself to death, didn't get what he wanted, and decided to crawl into a bottle, and it killed him. Mm. So that's the story of Cecil Ingram Connor III, Graham Parsons. I gotta admit, when you said, he's dead, now the fun begins, I had no earthly idea that that's where we were going. Hey, once again, let me pitch this book. It's really fun. Rock Shrines, Thomas H. Green, uh, Pamela DeBars gives the foreword to it, and and, uh, it really is fun. I got it uh, bargain price out of one of the one of the major bookstores. You know how they have those up front. Take these; these are cheapy. Get rid of them. Mm-hmm. I got it for nine bucks. Nice. It's a great, great book. So now you know more about Grand Parsons than you ever wanted to. Go check Ooh. them out. Specifically, the Flying Burrito Brothers stuff. <laughs> really good stuff. Uh, I think it's gonna wrap it up. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Chad. Hey, class is dismissed. I'm at a gym, so-